Well, let's move, if we can now, to um, the PS for our series in 1 Peter. And what we're going to do is, as the guy set up some things, we're going to begin by a congregational reading of 1 Peter. This is how we actually began our series uh, on January 23rd of this year. And so here's how it's going to work. There will be on the screen behind me two passages. One will say current, and the other will say next. And I'm just going to ask you to be bold and proactive. And as you are uh, willing to read, just kind of form a line at one of these two mics. And then once we're finished with the current reading, wherever that person is who's reading the next, they'll read the next one. The slide will change. And you'll just kind of see them flow in order. So you'll need to kind of get in line ahead of time. We want to kind of read the book in a consistent flow from the beginning to the end to kind of hear the, the theme and the heartbeat the Holy Spirit was inspiring Peter with as he wrote this entire letter. So here's what the screen will look like. There'll be a current, and I'll, I'll read 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2 to get us started. And then whoever's here at the mic can read 3 through 9. And then we can switch to the next mic. 10 to 12, or if all the lines are here, just stay this mic or this mic. It doesn't really matter which one. But are you following me? Pretty simple, not hard to understand. But we'll need you to be engaged and active and aware and, and kind of moving ahead of time and just kind of get in line and be able to read the next one that comes up. And our prayer is that we'll hear the entire book read and all of its flow and its consistency and, and its themes and its uh, emphases. And that once again, you'll just hear the Word of God just kind of leaning into your heart, blanketing your life with this message, okay? So our Bibles are open. 1 Peter chapter 1. Let me read for us the first two verses. And if you would, just go ahead now and begin forming the line so we can have those who want to read be ready and available. And here's all of 1 Peter from 1.1 to 5.14, congregationally read aloud. I'll begin in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. To God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Now we hope for the blessings God has for his children. These blessings, which cannot be destroyed or spoiled or lose their beauty, are kept in heaven for you. God's power protects you through your faith until salvation is shown to you at the end of time. This makes you very happy, even though now for a short time different kinds of troubles may make you sad. These troubles come to prove that your faith is pure. This purity of faith is worth more than gold, which can be proved to be pure by fire but will ruin. But the purity of your faith will bring you praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is shown to you. You have not seen Christ, but still you joy that cannot be explained, a joy full of glory, and you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or 
or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all of your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with a precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God." Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. Who are dead that you... Oops, I'm sorry, I skipped too many pages. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the word that is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you have come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, uh, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying a stone or I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. 
For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, but not using your freedom to cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called before Christ, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their, of their wives. When they see a respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God, 
harbor a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with arm yourselves with the same way of thinking for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions but for the will of god for the time that is past suffices for doing what the gentiles want to do living in sensuality passions drunkenness orgies drinking parties and lawless idolatry idolatry with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength of God, supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as God but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shame for gain, but eld eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, 
the God of all grace, who has called you to this eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Fantastic. Did you love the word of God? Just hearing it read over us is such a powerful moment for a congregation. Let me invite our elders to join me for a few moments. I'll introduce them to you, and then they're going to share with you, just oh, in maybe three or four minutes each, one takeaway from this study of 1 Peter. Then we'll take some Q&A. Here's the number to use if you have a question about things we've just read, or if you want to stump the elders. That won't be that difficult for us probably, but go ahead and take a shot, right? The number's also in your, in your bulletin. You can use that as well. Either number works. So we'll hear from these guys. Uh, we'll start with Mike Hartwig, one of our elders. Then I think we move to um, Scott Helms. And then we'll move to Travis Walker. Our other elder, Dale Height, is in Carlisle doing the very same thing. Uh, and then after QA, I'll come back with a, just a, my final takeaway, maybe a tad longer. We'll see how the time works, okay? But our goal is you hear the heartbeat of your shepherds regarding this book. And that we just have like this P.S. moment in which we just kind of further cement in our hearts God's word to us. So, Mike, how about a takeaway from you? Well, I, first of all, I find it ironic that uh, a book on suffering has a, a big section in chapter 3 about marriage and family, husbands and wives. So, I don't know if there's a subtle teaching there or not. But, but that's where my thought goes to is just in this book. Um, obviously, Leanne and I do a lot of um, work with marriages and families and it certainly is part of our heartbeat, um, and so we're naturally drawn to that. But there's a couple things in that passage. First of all, in, in that passage, there's, uh, he talks about likewise. He uses that word likewise, likewise. Well, just like this, just like this. And you have to look at that, those, those two passages where he talks to the wife and the husband. Who is the likewise? He's talking about Jesus Christ, which to me is a secret to having a successful marriage. You have to put on that mind of Christ uh, in order to have a successful marriage. So that's one huge takeaway um, and then the second takeaway that I would come from it is, is the key to a holy life, which is another theme throughout the book. Um, a, a key toward holiness is our spouse. Um, because hus- wives in this have an opportunity to draw their husbands closer to Christ. And um, husbands have an opportunity to draw their wives closer to Christ as well. When you get that synergy going, it's kind of amazing how they play off each other. And when I look at my wife as, a, as an adversary, someone that's against everything I, I'm trying to accomplish, that's the exact opposite of what First Peter is talking about. But if I look at her as someone that God has placed in my life to make me the man of God uh, he desires from me, it's, it's a game changer. And if she has that attitude toward me, it's a game changer for her too. She's just constantly saying, Mike, you're so tight with money or, you know, you don't ever want to go anywhere or, you know, all you do is go hunting and fishing and um, watch football. Which, by the way, how did Tennessee do yesterday? Oh. I was reading my Bible and praying. <laughs> okay. Uh, you, you get my point, uh, by the way, is, is that um, 
when, when, when we learn to lean into each other and we see each other that can have the same desires toward holiness, um, I'm very grateful that God has given me someone in my life so personal, so close, um, that, that I think that's a key, key element here. So anyway. You know, it's been said that the most sanctifying environment you'll ever experience is marriage. Now, I don't, there's not a verse to back that up. Some would say it's the church, so right. I'm not trying to have a competition here, but I would say there's some truth to that, that when you get that close to one person, they know your ins and outs and good and bad, and over a period of years, it, it, yeah, it's amazing how that does push us towards holiness, Lord willing. Mm -hmm. Good observation. Yeah. Scott, how about a takeaway? Yeah, for me, um, in regards to holiness in the midst of hostility, um, the big takeaway for me was the fact that, that Christ is our perfect picture in how to endure um, and remain holy in the midst of, of suffering and trials. Um, as I was thinking about that and preparing, my mind went to um, years ago when Felicia and I first were, had our first house and I had a toilet that, that broke. And so I'm like, once I found out how expensive it was gonna be to get it fixed, I decided I can do this. Home Depot tells me I can do this, right? So I go, what's that? And they can help, yeah. So I go to Home Depot, I start buying all the stuff. Well, to make a long story short, eight hours later, five trips to Home Depot later, three wax ring things if you've ever changed the toilet later, and it was done. But like nowadays, we have YouTube, right? So I can just go on YouTube. You're probably like me. You can go on there, listen to some uh, handyman or grandpa or plumber or car fix-it guy to, to go and, and fix these types of problems. You can, go on home, you can go on YouTube, and within like less than an hour, you can come out and you feel really confident about something that an hour ago you were you know, you had anxiety about, or you were, you know, worried that you wouldn't be able to tackle something that seemed insurmountable. The problem now is like, oh, I can do this. You have confidence because you got a roadmap on YouTube. And um, the same holds true for Christ. He is really our roadmap in how to endure suffering and, and to remain faithful in it, even when it seems insurmountable. So the verse that, that stuck out to me was 1 Peter 2.21, for to this you have been called. And when he's referring to called, the previous verse talks about to suffer. You've been called to suffer. So why am I called to suffer? Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. So why do I need an example as far as how to suffer? The verse continues on, so that you might follow in his steps. So the next time I face suffering or you face suffering, let us find that comfort, peace, and even God-given joy because we have a savior 
died for us, that suffered for you and for me, and he left us a roadmap how we can, how we can do it faithfully. And if I can gain confidence from YouTubers, how much more confidence can I gain from the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, that has his hand in every aspect of, of our lives? Amen. At the risk of being, a, being personal, I know that you and Felicia are walking this road, have been for a number of years with just her own battle with some illnesses that has yet to be figured out. And mm-hmm. I know that it's kind of ups and downs, but consistently in our elders meetings, even with our congregation, I know that you have a, you've used this a lot to help you kind of face it well. You want to expand on that anymore or just? No, it's, um, First Peter's been great for us this last year. Um, learning how to stand firm. There's a lot of verses. As, you, as you're suffering, you'd be amazed as you're, when you're actually looking for it how many verses there are, especially in the New Testament, about enduring suffering. Yeah. It's a very common theme. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. That's good. Travis? I would say the verse that continues to strike me and I'm reminded of and seems to come to my head as we've been going through this series and um, just in my own personal walk with God and devotional time is 1 Peter 4, verse 19. I think it's just a beautiful summary verse for all the themes that are in the book. And I'll just remind you of what it says again. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You see like these four main themes in this verse that of all that Peter's talked about throughout the, our, our time in it, and he just summarizes it all beautifully in one verse. He talks about suffering, God's plan and God's sovereignty. He talks about our responsibility to entrust our soul to him, and then while doing good, like our, our purpose, our, our job description while we're here. And it's just been a good summary statement for me, like, man, that's it, suffer well, it's according to God's plan. I, I've entrusted my soul to him for eternity. So now I have the freedom to do good, to be active and to serve for him. And I think the one point of conviction that I'd like to share uh, from our time in First Peter is I, at, I received Christ as my savior. I, I was saved. I was forgiven at six years old, very young. And since that day, it's been easy, that's probably not the right word, but to entrust my eternity to him. Like very hands-off when it comes to my eternity, right? Like one day I will see my savior face to face. He's got my eternity. I'm not making five-year plans, 10-year plans, 20-year plans when it comes to my eternity. But it's been a lot harder for me to entrust my soul to a faithful creator on this side of heaven. And so this verse has been challenging and convicting to me to say, if I'm willing to entrust my soul to him forever, why am I struggling today to entrust today to him? And this verse just kind of reminds me, like, does God got it? Then I can suffer well. Does God got it? Then I can do good works. If I entrust my soul to him, then that means today, 
tomorrow and for all of eternity. And so just a point of conviction in my own life has been, why am I worrying? I trust him enough to give him my eternal life. Why am I worrying about tomorrow? And so just continual reminder, challenge for me. Do I trust God? Then, then, then I can suffer well. I can serve him well for his honor and glory, for he's worthy of it. So, You're like, which point. is the larger task, right? 100%. Take care of this temporal moment or yep. eternity. That's yep. a good observation, yeah. He's got both. He's got both. Amen. That's right. Well, guys, thanks so much. Um, it's a joy to lead with you. And, of course, Dale down in Carlisle. And I want you to know these are your elders, and uh, we are accountable to you. And so regularly throughout the year, we come before you not only to teach and to shepherd you and to uh, help you, but also to let you know that we are accountable to you. And like First Peter says, if um, you know, we want to lead willingly and eagerly, not for the wrong reason, for the right. So just be aware, we're here to hear you and to listen and uh, just want to walk with you as, as the Lord makes all of us holy through hostility. So let's see if there's any questions you might have. I'm not sure if any, any came in. I'm looking for, a, so none came in. Okay, we'll just take that from the Lord. And uh, if you have any that you didn't want to text, but we do want to ask, these three are available after the service without any problem. They'll, they'll be sure to help you out. Uh, we're going to take a break from Carlisle for just a moment and allow Dell there to share with him some things. Let me just share with you my takeaway. Uh, and um, that is really in line with a lot of what they've said. As you read 1 Peter, it's clear that suffering is not accidental. Like, there's nothing in this book that would say it's optional or by mistake. In fact, we see it's very intentional and it's purposeful. You read verses that Scott mentioned that to this you were called. So there's a plan of God in place to bring things into our life they give us an opportunity to, to walk like Jesus. You hear Travis's verse about entrusting our souls to a faithful creator, that God knows what is coming and what will come. Like there's nothing accidental about the road of suffering that is intentional, that is not optional. Um, and so as I was thinking about this, and the, and the title of our series and really how Peter addresses this, we sometimes think this, that suffering and persecution are just an indirect result of what other people do to us because of our holiness. I don't mean that arrogantly, but like our desire to walk with God and, and be holy as He's holy. We often think, well, then suffering comes as a result of that. But what if suffering was actually the avenue to that? Like, like, watch this. What if suffering and persecution aren't just a consequence of holiness, but the conduit to it? When I read Peter, I sense this is what God is calling us to. This is why we trust him, because he knows what he's bringing into our life in order to make us holy. This is why he says to rejoice in hostility, to submit in it, to count it as joy when you're having to endure injustice, 
because of the name of Christ? Why does he have such an, a beautiful response to things that we normally do not like? It's because it's not only the byproduct of holiness, but it is the pathway to it. Let me give you some very practical examples. So I was a wrestler in high school. I was terrible. I wasn't that good, but it was good for me. Taught me a lot of discipline. Uh, And so when we would train and we'd work out and we would diet, different things, uh, those were not easy days. But as we worked to get in shape, uh, it wasn't that getting in shape resulted in being sore. It was that being sore and going through pain was the avenue to getting in shape. Are you with me? And anyone here that's in training or done athletics, you know this is true. We often feel the result of getting back into shape when you think, man, I'm sore today or I'm hurting today. But the truth is you won't get in shape if you don't go through that. I've talked to one of our physical therapists this week to make sure that I'm not saying things that are incorrect. I'm not a medical doctor uh, or a physical therapist. But I asked this person, I said, is it true that we actually tear our muscles down and then they rebuild themselves? And she said, That's practically generally the way the consumer sees it. There's a lot more technical language, she said, like your muscles experience micro tears. And then they do rebuild back bigger, like you're working out and stuff like that. But the truth is the avenue to getting into shape physically is through the process of pain and difficulty. It is the result of getting into shape as well. But it's also the avenue. And and that's just in my mind, like this is what's happening with suffering and persecution. This is how the Lord gets us into shape. This is how we actually experience holiness. It's through hostility. It's through suffering. It's through persecution. And I would say the word various is mentioned in chapter one. So it could be trials and persecutions of various kinds. And so when you say to the Lord, I don't like this. I didn't ask for a trip to the spiritual gym. You're actually saying no to the Lord's mechanism of making you more like himself. So let me be even more pastorally vulnerable and transparent with you. Because I asked myself this week, so could certain things have happened for reasons that we don't even know about yet? Certain things that that we would say, those weren't good things. Those were difficult moments. But project with me for a moment. I don't know if this is true. I'm going to project a hypothesis to you. Could it be that our country went through a pandemic so that we would have more births? I'm just asking a question. Because it is shown that there is an increase in the births in America for the first time in about 30 years. Not a lot, but a few. I'm glad about that. Children are a treasure from the Lord. What if the Lord knew and ordained a pandemic in order to reverse a tragic trend in our country? Just asking a question. What if? Or how about 
Or how about a snowstorm? Let's, let's get him on if we can. Or how about a, a, a snowstorm in Buffalo? <laughs> okay, right. You know there's going to be an increase in babies in Buffalo, right? <laughs> I don't know, but I would think there would be, right. <laughs> I want to be hassled here with the word no because there could be a number of things that happen. Even as I say this, there are folks in this room who lost someone in death due to COVID. So I want right. to be very gentle here. I want to be careful. But can we just admit something here? And this is where theology really matters. I personally believe God ordains all things. Now, we can use different words. You can say, well, he allows certain things. He uses certain things. But you cannot adopt a part-time sovereignty stance. It doesn't work theologically in the Bible. God is in control or he's not. He's either God or he's something of your own imagination. I am convinced and stand and rest on that God ordains all things. I don't understand how or why he ordains difficult things. I don't understand to this day. It's a, it's a deep question. But I'm not moving off this. God ordains all things. So how is the snowstorm in Buffalo working into the plan of God. I don't know, but it is. How is the pandemic working into the plan of God? I don't know, but it is. And how are things in your life that seem difficult working into the plan of God? I don't know, but it is the conduit to holiness, not just the consequence of it. One last illustration, and then I'll let you guys wrap it up if you have anything else to say. There's a gentleman been attending our church for a few months, and he came here because... His mother received a diagnosis of cancer. He said, the day he heard the news, he sensed the Lord say to him, uh, there's more to life than you realize. I'm a part of that. I'm, I'm, the, I'm what you need. So he Googled, nearest church to me. First family popped up. He came the next week. Met one of our greeters who's so on mission uh, said, oh, you're new, and invited this person to their group, and he went. Been going there for a few months, and just last week confessed Christ and became a Christian. Now, now listen very carefully, and, and if they're in this room and hearing this, they'll, they'll understand this. But, and this is hard for humans to say because we don't understand certain aspects about God, but did God ordain the cancer in his mom's life so that he would become a Christian? Did God use it? Did he allow it? You can wrestle through your language. But are you, are you following me? How does God move us to holiness? It's through suffering, persecution, difficulty. And the more you argue with God about that pathway, the further you're going to be from being like him. Because hostility, persecution, and suffering is not just a consequence of holiness. It's your conduit to it. Guys, you want to add anything to that before we finish up? I've been thinking a lot about this this week because two people came into my life. It's a very similar situation um, dealing with some abuse in their past. Um, two separate cases. One turned and looked toward God and it developed a spirit of holiness. The other turned in re exact rebellion against God. He's like, why did you make this happen, God? And trying to coach them through that, it's just like, it's like and you can see that difference. So why it can draw us to holiness 
it can also draw us into rebellion. I think there's Satan. Satan's motive is just when we go through suffering is to turn us into rebellious, mm-hmm. into rebellion. I hate God. God did this. God took my mom. God did this. Took my marriage. God this. The other side of it is, is what can I do to grow from it? And I think that's the whole spirit of First Peter is to say, we will go through suffering. And so we need to recognize that God is sovereign. And instead of spinning in God's face and saying, I don't deserve this, saying, God, I'm not the God of this universe. Please teach me, help me to grow closer to you. Yeah. Are you yeah. leaning in to say something? I yeah. feel like uh, to your point too, as you're sharing that, my mind went to the fact that um, Christ went and and suffered, and God's economy is so different than than our economy. Like, I would not send my son to die, and everybody around us could be like, Scott, what are you doing? You're crazy. But God knew what we needed, and we wouldn't have done that. We wouldn't have had the knowledge and the complete sovereignty to have planned that since the beginning of, of time. That, to your point, if, if we're pushing back against that, and um, I know I've done it, I'm sure we've all done it, we push back against God's plan to, to bring trials or suffering into our life, to me, I've realized that's just a heart of pride in me and not being humble to Travis's point of God's preparing eternity for us. I think he can handle our day-to-day lives. Yeah, James warns us against having the wrong response to trials. Don't blame God. So to your point, yeah. Guys, thanks so much. Um, I, I, I sense that in this moment, you may, have had, you may have more questions now about like, so who is this God that's so powerful, that's so big? I'm glad you're having those questions. Um, one of the best things you could do would just be to take a deep dive into what is it that I really believe about God? And the larger God grows and the smaller you become, that's a good day, all right? So if we've raised some questions and you're not sure what you think about them or that we even should have raised them or you're like, I'm, man, we're, we're available to talk with you, to walk with you, we'd love to do. If you're not in a small group, that's a great place to work out some of these things, get in a small group. Um, and we just hope that First Peter's kind of landed well and helped us as a church walk closer to God no matter what comes our way, all right? Can I pray for us? Heavenly Father, uh, this has been a fun PS to bring to the end of our study. So thankful for our elders leaning in with how you've worked in their heart and their life with this great epistle that you've inspired. Lord, I pray our our flock would stand on its truths. And Lord, where this book pushes us against us in ways and makes us think more deeply. God, I pray that we would not run from that task, that we would throw ourselves into the Word and to learn more about you, to see and understand more about who you are and 
your power and your majesty and your sovereignty so that we can understand more about our proper response to that, especially in times of suffering and persecution. Continue, Lord, making us individually and our church collectively a holy people unto you. In the good name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.